Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to our first podcast of 2023 with Crime Stoppers Victoria and partner Bankovic. Today, we will be focusing on financial abuse. This podcast will provide an exploration of the complex dynamics of financial abuse with a focus on coercive control and its significant impacts. Lauren is currently leading family violence, sexual assault and child abuse responses for Victoria Police. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here as an expert in this topic, and we know that you'll be able to educate us and all our listeners about what financial abuse is. To start us off, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Victoria Police? Well, I'm an Assistant Commissioner of the Family Violence Command, and we're one of the only jurisdictions in Australia to have a dedicated command for not just family violence, but sexual assault and child abuse. We're a central command that determines the standards, the practice, the strategy and the policy reform for all three of those crime themes, which are very much gendered harm crime themes. We know that women and children are the people who suffer the most from these types of crimes. Seems like a very heavy, heavy role that you're in at the moment. It does sound heavy and I always say to people we're not going out of business soon because it's one of the few crime themes even during COVID in family violence and sexual assault, it's rising. The reports are going up. In some ways we consider that a good thing because we know in the past both family violence and sexual assault were underreported. Very intense. So to bring us back to financial violence because we understand that financial abuse or financial violence is a form of family abuse. Can you explain exactly what financial abuse is? I can, and I'm really glad that you're tackling this topic because when we talk about family violence, most of the time people think of a physical assault. But in Victoria, we have the broadest definition of what family violence is, and financial abuse is included in that definition. So is coercive controlling behaviour. We consider them all types of family violence. And if I spoke to, I suppose, the most simple definition, it's when one person uses the control of money to control their partner or other family members. That's horrible. Can you also explain what the warning signs are for someone who may be experiencing that? Okay. Some of the things that we see that can tell us that financial abuse is happening are things like someone taking control of your pension or your benefits or your pay someone forcing or pressuring you to give them control of your money or your bank account. And it can even be wanting to know what your logon or code is for your bank account. 
Sometimes we see people being excluded from seeing the bills or the loans or the mortgage payments. That's a form of financial control. Forcing people to sell their possessions without their permission or even forcing people to sign documents such as loans, mortgages, credit cards, debit cards, Centrelink claims and phone contracts. Some other things that we see is stopping or interfering with people even going to work or getting a job or interfering with their schooling or their qualifications so that they're preventing them from actually bettering themselves and having more financial independence. And sometimes it can be as simple as just refusing to pay for things like food, medicine or disability related equipment. And I think we've seen cases where people have hidden assets or money from their family or their or their partners so that the person actually is in a, a more difficult financial situation than they need to be. So there's some of the signs. A lot of warning signs. And um, who can experience financial abuse? Anyone really. I mean, we often think of family violence as the traditional intimate partner violence, which is the woman is the partner and the partner is is a man. We know that family violence occurs in all sorts of settings and one of the common ways in which financial control occurs is between children and their parents, children who are adults and older parents. So that's one way and we also know that family violence and controlling behaviours can be present in all types of of relationships, not just an intimate partner situation, in, particularly in the LGBTIQ plus community, people with a disability and their carer, that can be a, an opportunity for abuse to occur. People from migrant backgrounds who have come to Australia on a visa may have a sponsor. There can be abuse that occurs in that situation as well. And we also know that adolescents both experience family violence in the home and can commit it as well as against their parents. And who is responsible for financial abuse? It's always the perpetrator who is to blame for any form of family violence, particularly financial abuse. I think people are often convinced that what's happening is just normal in a relationship and everyone kind of, you know, has one person who takes care of the money and the other person who doesn't worry about it. That's not what we're talking about here. And often we see that some of the things that people do, they've gone to a very great length to manipulate the situation and make the victim feel as though they're not doing anything wrong. But whenever they are restricting that person's liberties or their financial independence, that is a form of abuse. Okay. And for someone who wants a little bit more information, can you give us any scenarios or examples of what financial abuse can look like in a relationship? Okay. Well, I can give you an example. When I first arrived at Family Violence Command, someone had rung the phone and it was just answered by one of our senior sergeants on the floor. And it was a woman who had experienced family violence from her partner and they had separated and he had convinced her that she would not be able to seek child support because he was the one who would decide whether or not he would be giving her money for the children. And at first I was really shocked that, you know, in 2020, this is when the phone call happened, there would be a woman in Victoria in society that doesn't understand her rights as far as child support and support payments from the government. But it really reminded me how manipulative perpetrators can be. And they often shield victims from the reality or the truth of things because it suits them to keep them under some form of control. So that was a real wake-up call for me around the literacy level of people around what is family violence. She didn't even realise what he was doing was actually 
completely false and a form of financial abuse. I've got another example that the Family Violence Task Force did with a victim whose husband had been really violent and the police had attended at the house and arrested him and she didn't speak English so they organised an interpreter and they were able to get her into crisis accommodation and when they were going through the history of what had happened in the family she had never been allowed to go to the supermarket by herself. She didn't know what a credit card was so she had been completely isolated from all All the normal, I suppose, financial activities that we take for granted. He had kept her so in the dark, she didn't know what to do when she was first made safe from the situation. And even when he was remanded in custody, he was making phone calls to his friends to try and find out where she was because he was trying to wrestle back that control. And she had come from a very abusive situation. But once again, I was surprised that you could be living in Australia, in Victoria, and be so unaware of what is right and what is wrong. It always reminds me that I need to talk to the to the definition of family violence in so many different environments to remind people what it actually is. So for someone who is unaware of all of that and doesn't know what financial violence looks like, how would they get themselves out of that situation or how would they educate themselves to become aware that they're in a situation of family abuse? Well, I think probably the most common way is that they're going to ultimately have a conversation with a friend or a family member. I think they'll probably, that will be the first time where they think maybe something's not right. And I often get asked about the role of bystanders in all forms of family violence, including coercive control and financial abuse. And I say to people, you've got to be that person who says you know, that's not okay. No, that's not normal. That's not right. The person doesn't need rescuing. They just need you to be a support for them. And the most important thing to accept is that even when you say to them, that's abusive, that's not normal, you shouldn't have to put up with that. That doesn't necessarily mean the person's going to go home and leave that abusive person. There'll be many good reasons why they might stay. And therefore, the bystander's role is to keep being a support, finding ways to maybe give them a chance to go and seek some more advice from a specialist family violence worker. I've often heard of people offering to mind the kids or have play dates so the person can actually, without anyone knowing, go and seek some more formal advice. They really don't want to be judged. I think that's another thing that will happen when you tell someone is you don't want that person to say, well, how could you put up with that? Because there's very good legitimate reasons why people stay with someone who's violent, especially if it's not physical violence, but it won't just be financial control. They'll be isolated from their friends and family. They may be controlled in what they wear, whether or not they're allowed to have a job, all sorts of freedoms across their life. And so I think we just sort of have to always be mindful that victim survivors will be doing a risk assessment every day as to should I stay, should I go, should I keep accepting this? And often they'll reach out to their inner circle to get a sense check on whether or not what's happening is actually abuse or not. And what are some common situations in which you see victims of financial abuse? We see it in lots of situations. One of the common ones is adult children who have older parents. We recently did a financial elder abuse trial in in Victoria Police across five sites and some of the things that were coming to the police attention was children putting pressure on their parents to sell assets or give them money. And In fact, we had one case where there was a fight between a daughter and her elderly mother and the daughter was a grown woman and neighbours had heard the fighting and had called the police. 
police. And so when the police arrived, the daughter, who was, you know, probably in her 40s, really coherent, explained that her mother had dementia and that they'd had an argument over the car keys. And as it turned out, her mother had injuries, so they called the ambulance. So the police were sort of, you know, trying to unfold the story as 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 to what was presented before them. But when the elderly mother got to hospital, she actually had a couple of broken ribs. And the sergeant who was attending the incident rang the hospital, made a few more inquiries. And what it had turned out to be was that they were having an argument over the cars because the daughter had convinced the mother to give her money to buy a BMW and then she hadn't repaid the loan and the mother was trying to get the keys back because she was putting pressure on her to give her more money. So it was a case of financial elder abuse and it took a day or two to work through that the story that the child, even though she's an adult, had given to the police was very, very different to the actual scenario. And her mother's dementia was not as she portrayed it to be. She was able to tell the hospital staff what had happened and police were able then to get an intervention order and put some safety protection mechanisms in place for her elderly mother. Oh, that's a really sad, very, very sad story. And you briefly touched on intervention orders and family intervention orders. Can you explain what that is? Well, when police receive a report of family violence, and it doesn't have to be necessarily a physical violence scenario, but we are looking at sort of two different aspects to what's going on. The first thing we're always trying to understand is who is in most need of safety or who is most in fear in the situation. There may be criminal offending aspects to the incident in front of us, like assaults or property damage. But equally, even if there aren't any criminal aspects, we have a civil process, which is our intervention order and personal safety order schemes, including our family violence safety notices. So what police will do is we will want to put safety mechanisms in place. So we might issue a family violence safety notice, which provides immediate protection to the affected family member. We may remove the perpetrator from the incident. We may apply for an intervention order. So the safety piece is the most important thing that we want to do, but we will also then look to see whether or not there are criminal proceedings that we need to undertake. Separate and above, the safety mechanisms. Thank you for touching on what family intervention orders are. Is there anything else that Victoria Police does to protect the victims of financial abuse? I think the most important thing that Victoria Police try to do to protect victims of financial abuse is that we want to make sure that the abuse stops and we want to make people safe. That's first and foremost. That's our job. And when we're rung to attend, to look at an incident, they're the most important things we're trying to sort out. And we do that under the powers that are under the Family Violence Protection Act. So we will arrest people who are committing crimes. We will use our holding powers. We will apply for remand where appropriate, we're going to hold the perpetrator to account for their behaviour. And sometimes, you know, it might be hard to prove offences, but police are interested in knowing what's gone on. They want to understand what are the behaviours that have contributed to us turning up on that night or that day. We also have a role to play in working with victims because sometimes victims won't always tell us the full story when we're there. Um, They might just want to talk about what's happened on the night, but it's our job to actually take the time and talk to victims to understand, is there a pattern of behaviour that sits behind what's happened on this incident to bring us there today? So we really put a lot of emphasis these days on asking our police to step back, holistically assess the situation. Yes, there might be criminal offences there, but we want to understand, is there a pattern of control going on where one person is being severely controlled by another? 
Right. And why is it important that we address or educate people on financial abuse? I think it's really important because, uh, and I mentioned it earlier, there's still a lot of misunderstanding around what actually constitutes family violence. And I'll, and I'll give you a really good example that we saw come out of the Banking Commission and the National Summit into Women's Safety. You know when you do a banking transaction from one person to the next, there's a criteria that you can type the message in as to what the money is for. Well, through that commission, we actually saw that perpetrators were using that message facility on banking transactions to abuse their victims. So they would either write something abusive in the text messaging, thousands of them, and banks were seeing it actually. They were the first ones to kind of think, all right, this isn't right. They were either using it to put an abusive message in, using it to put a controlling message in, like putting money into kids' bank accounts and saying, tell mum I love her or tell mum I want her back, which is all a form of control, particularly if there's an intervention order in which prevents them having contact with the person. And the other thing that they were doing was instead of just transferring the money, say it was for school fees, they might like put in one cent at a time. That is an absolutely abusive act. When I was listening to these cases, really reminded me that at times you think you know everything or you think you've seen every form of abuse, but perpetrators are highly manipulative and they will find ways to make their victim feel unsafe or watched or surveilled or under their control no matter what happens. And we know in family violence, reports that happen these days. About 50% are current partners, but about 50% of reports are ex-partners. So when you leave someone, that's not necessarily the end of the abuse. If they are highly controlling and manipulative, they will continue to do those behaviours even after the relationship is over. And there was one more thing I also want to say around the family violence report. In Victoria, it's actually a very unique report. It's a police report that does three things at once. It takes a report of the incident that's happened. So we have a record of the family violence. It's a risk assessment as to who is most in fear, most in need of safety. And the police asks 39 questions. It goes to the history and the pattern of abuse. In fact, the first question on the family violence report, and there's 39 questions, is around controlling behaviours. We also go in to ask about mental health, substance abuse, history of violence, that sort of thing. So it takes a report, it does a risk assessment, and the third thing it does is it is a referral into support services. So sometimes at a family violence incident, it may be that whatever the circumstances are, there isn't going to be any more police contact on the night, but it may be that the parties need to be referred to support services, and our report does that as well. It's an automatic referral process. So it's doing three things at once. It's great to hear that Victoria Police are doing a lot to help people in financial abuse. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you here and I'm sure that all of us feel very educated in financial abuse and know the signs and situations and examples of that and hopefully can help you know, our loved ones or anyone we know that may be experiencing it. So thank you for coming. Thank you for letting me talk about it. If you are in immediate danger... Call triple zero for police and ambulance help. 1-800-RESPECT is a 24-hour national sexual assault, family and domestic violence counselling line for any Australian who has experienced or is at risk of family and domestic violence and or sexual assault. Individuals can also access local support services and search the internet using DAISY, a free app developed by 1-800-RESPECT that protects user privacy. You can also get free confidential advice from a financial counsellor by calling the National Debt Helpline on 1-800-007-007 between 9.30am and 4.30pm. 
You can also find a financial counsellor in your area on the National Debt Helpline website. Thank you for listening. For more podcasts in collaboration with BankVic, visit crimestoppersvic.com.au. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.